Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to A Minor Detail, brought to you by the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. Tonight is going to be a special, informative, invigorating episode of our show, and it may it may raise your blood pressure because we're going to be talking about a serious issue that unfolded in the last week in Baltimore City. And we're going to be talking about solutions to some of those problems those that we witnessed in Baltimore. And in the wake of the events that unfolded last week in Baltimore City and as a result of the death of Freddie Gray and the arrest and the subsequent arrest of the six Baltimore City police officers, uh, Change Montgomery County, we're going to work together with uh, some of the folks that we're going to have on our show tonight and have a detailed discussion and we're going to get to the crux of what is happening in these areas and how can we bridge together between community and the police because what happened in Baltimore it cannot happen again it was scary i i don't know if you were watching it unfold but i of course you followed the news and you you saw what was happening in real time on television especially last monday night i i, I was watching with with our kids and you know in our in our living room and it was frightening and you're wondering what is going on why is this happening and what can we do so in the aftermath on Tuesday when the governor dis- declared a state of emergency and of course when he was working in conjunction with the the, the mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake we we watched this i mean literally before our eyes and so many different people, especially on social media, were coming up with different solutions, but more so it was the blame game. Some people said, well, this is a result of a fundamental mistrust between community and police. Some people said this is a result of 50 or 60 or so years of democratic control. And some people just had a lot of blame. But instead, I was interested in solutions. And the people that I'm going to bring on the show tonight – We're also interested in solutions, and we want to talk about specifically a policy called community policing. It's not not necessarily even a policy, but more of philosophy, and we're going to talk with our guests, and I'm going to introduce my guests in a moment, and we're going to segment it out. They're going to be staggered and joining the show. I have with me Mark Brown, president and owner of M. Anthony Brown Consulting. I have Pastor, Pastor Reginald... Anderson Exum. He was born and raised in Baltimore City. And I'll have Council President George Levenfall of Montgomery County. And I'll have uh, Daryl McSwain. And I'm going to patch some of these folks in here. So if you're listening, um, as I patch you in, please feel free to announce yourself. So on the line, um, I'm assuming that I have, is, is Mark with me? Yes, Ryan, I'm here. Good evening. Hey, Mark. Is is the pastor with me? Yes, Ron. I'm here. Oh, that's great. And do I have do I have Assistant Police Chief Daryl McSwain from Montgomery County Police Department? Is he with me? Yes, I am, sir. Okay, that's great. So later, uh, Council President George Leventhal, he's going to join me. So, Mark, um, and then Pastor, I'm going to have you introduce yourself secondly, and then um, Assistant Police Chief uh, McSwain, I'm going to have you introduce yourself after those two. So, Mark, why don't you take it away and introduce who you are and what you want to accomplish tonight with this show? Uh, thanks, Ryan. Yes, uh, I'm a longtime resident of Montgomery County. I'm a leader in my church uh, there in Gaithersburg, the uh, New Life uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm also a uh, entrepreneur. I recently retired from the federal service after uh, 37 years. And now own a, a small consulting firm, and also uh, I'm a certified instructor uh, teaching entrepreneurship. Um, my attention is drawn to this situation particularly because, as a African American male and having raised children in Montgomery County, and I, I see the impact of uh, what happens in our communities, how how far it can reach. I also believe that as as a resident. Of, of the county, that uh, that there are things that we can do, uh, the things that we must be engaged in. 
uh, to make sure that, that these things are are being uh, properly looked at in the context of our our county where we live. Um, I think too often we uh, sort of stand on the sidelines with fingers crossed or with very pointed comments, but we're not doing enough to uh, impact uh, what goes on. So right on. I hope the conversation that, that we'll be able to uncover some things that we all can take part in to address. We're going to work. And this this show, this this organization, uh, we don't, we're not just talk. We're, we're not people that just go on and bloviate. We're here to present solutions. And we talked offline, Mark, and we had a great conversation. And we're going to try to extrapolate some of those uh, main points that we, we hit on, on the phone uh, about urban areas, about bridging this gap between the African-American community and working directly with police to solve some of these problems. And we're going to talk at length about the community policing model. So I want to go next to uh, Pastor. Can you introduce yourself and tell us why you're here? Uh, my name is Reginald Anderson Exum. I pastor Edmondson Heights Seventh-day Adventist Church in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And I guess I have a unique experience uh, with this this entire situation because uh, I was born and reared in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, I also work in Baltimore now with our congregation. Um, I was recently named as pastor there about four months ago. I've been pastoring for five years, uh, but I've I've lived in Baltimore practically my my entire life. So I would like well, to, I guess, weigh, weigh in on the conversation exactly uh, what I experienced uh, on the front lines of what we saw on television a few days ago. Absolutely. And I, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. And I want to go now to the uh, assistant police chief in Montgomery County. Uh, will you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, sir. First of all, I'm honored to be on your show, and I appreciate it. I'm uh, Daryl McSwain. I serve as one of uh, four assistant chiefs with the Montgomery County Police. Uh, we, in fact, were able to assist Baltimore City with their um, recent riots and the other uh, uh, challenges they had. And like your uh, previous uh, speaker, I uh, spent my uh, childhood in uh, that same neighborhood in Baltimore. So I'm very familiar with the uh, location and uh, Madonna Mall and other locations as well. But I'm uh, grateful to have this opportunity. I look forward to a good discussion on solutions and also uh, efforts that are ongoing, not only in Montgomery County, but throughout the nation to enhance uh, police community relations. Absolutely. And that's why you're here. We're going to we're going to get involved in this. And I'm going to bring in uh, Council President George Leventhal. Good evening, Mr. Leventhal. How are you tonight? Hi, Ryan. Everything's good. Nice to speak with you. And I, I cannot thank you enough. You are everyone in this this program tonight are very busy people, and to have just a, a just a brief moment of your time means so much. Because tonight we're going to talk about solutions. We're going to cut through the noise of what what we're seeing unwind and trying to present real authoritative uh, directives that we can we can show that we're not just part of the background noise, but we are part of the solution. So let's jump right into it. Uh, what happened in Baltimore City um, is a serious problem, and I was watching this unfold, and I didn't have all the facts together. And when you not when you don't have all the facts together, you start making up you, – you start to, to, to picture things out, and I, you just don't have the full story. So on Tuesday, my heart said – and I, <laughs> I probably scared my mother to death uh, in this, and that because people worry about you. And I know that I scared my significant other when I said, "I'm going to go to Baltimore City. I'm going to go right into Sandtown, and I'm going to find out what exactly is happening on the streets." And not only that, I want to help out with some of the cleanup efforts that they organized, almost you know, ex extraordinarily expediently. So I went down, I helped out, I pitched in as much as I could, and then I walked up to where the media was was swarming. I walked up to where the burnout CVS was, and what I saw was not only I saw protesters and I saw passion, but I got a I, I before this it was I had an understanding in my heart that that things were wrong. But until you hear people, until you listen to their stories, understand and and and, and hear what they're saying, because I didn't hear what they were saying. I heard that they said there is a mistrust between police and between the citizens of this community. And 
Pastor, when you were on the front lines, what what were you seeing? What was happening in real time? Well, I, I, I would like to say, like yourself, um, I found out about the situation. Several of my parishioners called, and they stated that there was an issue uh, going on down at the church. And uh, I just cut on the television, and I started to see what um, exactly uh, what was what was happening. Uh, but what I saw what I saw there on on the front lines is similar to uh, what you uh, just stated a, a, a moment ago. Uh, but I guess my heart basically leapt uh, out of my out of my chest because I saw a police force uh, that was prepared to. Uh, do physical harm to the community and the community that was basically prepared to uh, do physical harm uh, to the to the governing body. And I just wanted to see what I could do uh, to help the situation with young people who were getting caught up in this in, in the scenario, uh, or if there was if I could lend lend a hand in any other way. Uh, but physically, what we were able to do is just stand as a barrier barrier between those two bo- uh, bodies uh, to prevent the loss of life. It really wasn't about thinking about who did what or uh, who caused this, this situation to happen. We just wanted to make sure, and I wanted to make sure that if at all possible, the police could, could go ha- home and uh, be relatively unharmed and the citizens could do the same thing. Absolutely. Uh, so this is what happened. I mean, everybody in the world has heard about the situation. But Freddie Gray was taken into custody by six police officers who have now been arrested. They were charged with, uh, with various uh, crimes, and Marilyn Mosby, who is the, the state's attorney uh, down in Baltimore City, uh, will be leading the prosecution, assumingly against these six individuals, because while in custody, Freddie Gray, he, he, he died, and that now has sparked the reason why behind the protest. And when I was in Baltimore City, I saw several different signs and peaceful protesting. And, you know, I saw tensions flare. But m- m- most of what I saw was police standing bar- standing guard right next to the burnout CVS after the looters had destroyed it and burnt, burnt it out. But I saw signs that Black Lives Matter, uh, we don't trust the police, um, and there was also pro-police as well when I was up there. And correct me if I'm – it was at North and Pennsylvania, if I'm – I think that's correct. That's correct, Penn and, Penn and oh. North. Uh-huh. Okay. So – and I want to go to uh, our assistant police chief uh, in Montgomery County. And the, when the governor declared the state of emergency, he brought in several other uh, – the, the, the Baltimore City, obviously, they needed help uh, with policing. And can you talk about the efforts that – happened here in Montgomery County and the logistics of sending those police officers into Baltimore City and your experience uh, throughout the last week, Assistant Police Chief? Sure, thank you. Um, Very challenging situation, certainly for Baltimore City. Uh, They did not have some um, necessary equipment to prevent injury to themselves to include gas masks and some other uh, riot um, gear, unfortunately, as it relates to that. But uh, more importantly, um, we are all sworn to protect and serve both our property and our lives. So Montgomery County sent approximately 100 officers up there, uh, different capacities. We actually have a special events response team that's uh, specially trained for incidents like that, and even those that are uh, less threatening, if you will, but involve uh, large crowds such as golf tournaments and fairs and those types of things. We take great effort in teaching them how to uh, de-escalate uh, situations whenever possible and only using force when absolutely necessary. Uh, we also send a command staff up uh, with them to ensure we have proper supervision as well as uh, individuals who work with Baltimore City um, decision makers in the command uh, post uh, area as well. So it's a consistent effort, uh, challenging on all um all fronts, but uh, in the end, we want to ensure that those who wanted to exercise their First Amendment right could do so in safety and also in peace, um, while still obviously uh, caring about the uh, business of the city itself. Well, we thank the police 
who assisted the efforts in Baltimore City to help uh, facilitate people to exercise their First Amendment rights uh, within the boundaries of, of that, of course. And I want to go now to Council President Levenfall. We talked offline, and uh, you had spoke about uh, what you were doing earlier in the day, and that's going to tie into this show. So, Council President, you attended a, I guess, an information or a seminar session today uh, with uh, Montgomery County's Chief of Police, Manger. And could you talk a little bit about that and parlay that into this the show topic? Yeah, sure, Ryan. Well, thanks for having me on. And um, I want to say that on uh, May 11th, Chief Manger and the County Council will discuss body cameras. And then on June 9th, we're going to have a public discussion with the chief, um, uh, just generally, you know, and uh, and let me say hello to my good friend, Chief McSwain, and, um, you know, he's doing a terrific job at MCPD, and I know, and Chief McSwain, uh, you know, confirm whether I'm right on this, officers are really talking about this, that the whole situation, Black Lives Matter and Ferguson, and obviously, you know, they participated very courageously in Baltimore, and I want to say I'm really happy that none of our Montgomery County police were harmed, because they certainly were in harm's way, and they certainly responded under the terms of a mutual aid agreement. Uh, Baltimore City Police would do the same for us if we had a need. Um, but I just want to say hello to Chief McSwain, and, and you know, I hope he'll convey my thanks to the whole MCPD. Well, appreciate it, Mr. Leventhal, and certainly will. And, in fact, they are talking about I visited a roll call uh, just yesterday morning, um, and certainly uh, they are very appreciative of uh, public support but also realize that maintaining the public's trust is an ongoing uh, effort that all uh, police agencies must continue to uh, see as a priority. So, I mean, I think those are really important um, on-the-job learning sessions, you know, that the officers are having right now, reading the headlines every day. And I know that, um, and and participating in the action in Baltimore, as I say, participating very courageously. But, um, look, this is a learning opportunity for all of America. And we've got to ask some really hard questions. We've got to ask questions about urban economics and what is happening to our job base. And disconnected youth, we've got just far too many uh, young people between the age of like 16 and 25 who aren't in school and don't have a job. And that's, we have them in Montgomery County, and, and that's a, a looming problem for the entire United States. We've got to think about, um, you know, how we can provide uh, uh, workforce training and how we can get people job ready. And, and that's obviously an enormously urgent situation in Baltimore. It shouldn't take rioting in the streets to get all of us to focus on our obligation to all of us. You know, all of Maryland succeeds when we all succeed, and Baltimore's success is essential to the rest of the state. Absolutely. I mean, it's our largest city in, in Maryland, and it's we all have a passion for the city. And we, we many people in Montgomery County and all throughout the state said, okay, how can we help? Mark Brown, we're going to talk tonight about a policy. It's called community policing or... Uh, or community-oriented policing, and this is a strategy of policing, and it focuses on police building ties and working closely with members of the communities. And just a little bit of background, in the United States, the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994 established the Office of Community-Oriented Police Services, and the acronym is COPS. And it established this within the Justice Department to promote community policing. And so according to the definition of this organization, community policing is a philosophy that promotes organizational strategies which support the systemic use of partnerships – or I'm sorry, systematic use of partnerships and problem-solving te techniques to proactively address the immediate conditions that give rise to public safety issues such as crime, social disorder, and fear of crime. And there's no universally accepted definition of community policing. However, it can commonly be described um, within this paradigm. And so let's talk about this. Uh, community policing has been an idea that is not new and it's not revolutionary, but it basically emphasizes a structure between police and community and then building – a bridge between those two and where officers literally get out, speak to small business owners, talk to people within the community, and they talk to people to have a better understanding of the realities that affect each individual community. Is this a right strategy, Mark Brown? I absolutely do believe it is a right strategy, um, but I, I see a challenge in its implementation, uh, primarily that uh, there needs to be a paradigm shift. Um, there, there's just a, 
uh, inherent mindset that policing is done by those with, with badges and guns and, and that it is something that is done to us. Uh, I think that in order for uh, community policing to really take hold, that, that the conversations, as you mentioned, between uh, the police and the community uh, needs to intensify, and there needs to be a deliberate effort to, to have that shift in our thinking that this is something that we can participate in and engage in. And, and uh, I believe there, there will need to be some very deliberate actions done to help the community especially to, to have that shift in their thinking. Pastor Exum, you, you saw it right in Baltimore City, and you, and you preach. And did you tailor a message within your church to fit what happened in the in Baltimore City and the aftermath of the rioting and protests. Yes, yes, I did. Um, actually, it it took a change in the message that I had, uh, previously planned uh, for for that particular week. But uh, last week, surprisingly, the message that I preached on, I told my congregation, showed them the difference between a a shepherd and a hireling. And I and I told them that the difference between the two is that a shepherd will be with the sheep when when harm's way comes uh, comes about when a wolf comes that exposes if a leader is a shepherd or if he is a, a hireling a hireling is only concerned about receiving a paycheck and returning to their home a shepherd is going to be down there with the people whether they are a member or if they're a leader in a congregation uh, through a uh, pastorship or if they're an elder. They're going to be out there with the people, and I stress the importance uh, of our congregation being visible, helping the community, standing there with the, the community, even if it means that we have to be in harm's way. And uh, prayerfully, I, I was able to do that by example, uh, by, by kneeling down in the glass of the street, uh, standing, standing there on, on North and Penn uh, to be with my, my parishioners to make sure that they understand uh, that the same way that I shepherd our flock, this is the same way that they have a, a shepherd in Jesus Christ who takes care of them. Absolutely. Part of the community policing strategy, there's three components, and I'm reading directly from the U.S. Department of Justice as how they define this. One is community partnerships. Two is there's an organizational transformation, and that's the way that departments are organized. And three, there's problem-solving. Uh, Pastor and Chief McSwain, I have my question is directed towards each of you, and I'll start with you, Pastor. Zoom. Let me ask you this: Have the partnerships between citizens, say up at um, in Sandtown, up where Freddie Gray grew up in his community, have those partnerships deteriorated between police and the community, and why? Because my my when I was on the ground. And I was listening to people, and I was listening to people who literally lived in the same block as Freddie Gray said they, there is a fundamental mistrust in police, that they do not that, – that there is an institutional style of racism involved. Is that true, and what can we do to fix it? I can, I can, speak, I can speak to, that, uh, to this particular question, not as a, a pastor, but just as an individual who grew up in Baltimore, and that is um, – the only time that, that we saw uh, police officers is when there was something going on in a neighborhood that was extremely disruptive. I'm not talking about small things, big things. And in particular, um, when we saw police officers, the police officers did not look like the community. They were not African-American. They were not Hispanic. They were, uh, gen generally speaking, they were, they were Caucasian uh, men coming into the neighborhood uh, and uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, in, in imposing the law or bringing the law uh, uh, to the neighborhood. And so this is something that's, that's, that's not new. In my lifetime, it's been the same across the board, uh, but it's, it probably, maybe it has been building uh, over the past, over the past uh, couple of years because of what we've seen in the media in other places uh, like Ferguson, like New York City. Uh, so this this thing really erupted uh, in Baltimore because of what's happening in other places. But uh, the the connectivity of the police department with the community is virtually non-existent. Uh, you have some communities in Baltimore 
where I know for a fact you can make an emergency call, and because you, you're calling from a certain block, uh, that call may go unanswered for, for, for some degree of time, maybe a few hours without seeing uh, a response. Sometimes they may not answer at all. And, uh, and, and that's something that, that people have grown tired of, and it has built animosity and, and anger. Absolutely. I, I, I felt that anger. It was palpable on the street. People have expressed and, – and I straight up asked. I said, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm a Caucasian American, for, for lack of a better term. I'm a white guy going into your neighborhood, and many of the police – many the situation you just described, Pastor – that there is a breakdown, they I, I, they they have seen this for a long time, and they feel that that they're taken off the street. That the way that they're policed, they're being uh, I guess not they're they're being picked up for some of these petty issues. And we'll get into that. We're talking about the strategy that was implemented under Martin O'Malley. And look, this show we are not going to get. I promise you, we're not going to get political because. That is not the direction I want to take this show, and being a nonpartisan organization, that's not how you know we're not going to do any of the blame game here. But we're going to have to unwind some of the policies that have failed, that have led to this mistrust, and 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 really open that up for for a discussion. So I want to understand better. I want to understand better what it is that where does the mistrust lie? Do they do citizens and African Americans, especially in Freddie Gray's community? Do they believe that police are not on their side, that they're there to uh, you know, take away something from them? Because my impression was when I was on the streets of Baltimore City, just like you, Pastor, that something was seriously wrong. And if we don't fix it using a different model, then it's going to continue, and we're going to have more Baltimore City. Yes, that, that, that description would be, would be very accurate uh, that, you, that you just mentioned. And we, we all believe that it will never happen in our, in our neighborhood until the situation erupts and it does happen. But what you, what you just said uh, is extremely accurate uh, of, the, of the situation that we find ourselves in in Baltimore. And not to prolong this, but I, I am so grateful that you uh, went there with the intent of listening to the people, not telling them where, the, where, where their hurt is, not, not imposing something that you've heard or read from somewhere else, but you listened, and I believe that's that's why you're getting it right with the with the comments that you're making. Well, we're certainly trying, and I know that the media exacerbates these issues. And I was there. I mean, for goodness' sake, I was there right on the corner, standing next to the the entranceway to the CVS. And who shows up? Geraldo Rivera. And who picks fights with protesters? Geraldo Rivera. And I'm watching this stuff not only on TV, but literally in the streets. And this became such a sensationalistic moment in American media, and there was just a total and epic failure of the media to truly report many of the positive things that were happening, and they, they really just did not make the situation that much better. And that's why, as an alternative source of media, we're trying to bring out the real picture and, and not provoke, but instead give something back to this community. And I want to go to you, uh, Chief McSwain. Could Baltimore, could Montgomery County, in some of our areas, could we experience a Baltimore city? Well, I would certainly say we'd be naive if we said we could not. But um, I will um, mention, first of all, I think my the previous speakers made some very excellent points that I wanted to uh, share. And just importantly, talk to you about what we do in Montgomery County to hopefully prevent a Ferguson or Baltimore City type of uh, incident. They mentioned uh, being a philosophy and also a structure, and I love the description of a shepherd. I think that is, in fact, outstanding. And I will tell you that relationships are built in times of peace. You know, if a community feels that the only time you come around is just simply arrest people, obviously it's going to build some uh, walls, so to speak, uh, between the two. It is, in fact, a partnership. I tell you, our officers were grateful for those uh, brave persons we stood between us and protesters while we were up there in Baltimore. And I will tell you also, after Ferguson, uh, because we have established strong relationships here in Montgomery County with uh, various segments of our community, uh, we actually had the NAACP access to walk with them and they uh, show solidarity uh, for a uh, press conference after Ferguson to show uh, 
how united we were, in fact, in Montgomery County, that we all believe in the same values uh, that they're striving for. But a couple other quick things here. First of all, that partnership, of course, is a uh, joint responsibility between the police and the community, and it has to be built on trust, mutual respect, and there has to be ongoing communication between the two parties. In Montgomery County, we focus on at least three main priorities, and um, a fourth also that uh, we've uh, we continue to do as well. The first thing you have to do is you got to hire the right people. Uh, we place right. a great deal of emphasis on the types of officers we hire. Think in the class before the last one that we have currently going through. We had about 1,300 applicants. But we only hired about 60 out of those uh, applicants. We have pretty uh, stringent. Uh, hiring standards, but just importantly, we not only look for things like grades, et cetera, et cetera, but we look for character. We look for people who are used to working in a diverse community, people who have played sports or work with groups or people who don't look like them, uh, people obviously who come with a uh, high uh, moral um, um, character that uh, we can identify through a long background process. Secondly, you got to, uh, and we mentioned, of course, diversity is, in fact, a, uh, uh, a very valid um, challenge for every agency, and we're certainly uh, making it a priority, and we're very grateful to the council, which has helped us not only with our staffing levels over the uh, last number of years to uh, increase those staffing levels, as well as the county executive, but also to help us diversify our agency even more. Uh, and then the other thing that we do uh, focus a lot on is training as well. Um, not only is diversity training and expectation part in our training academy, but we also continue it through uh, in-service training with all officers on an annual basis to include cultural competency and also um, even offering Spanish for um, our growing Spanish population as well. And then you've absolutely got to hold people accountable. You've got to have a structure in place uh, whereby you can, as Ronald Reagan would say, trust but verify, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, we weekly we have weekly stat meetings, but not only stats for the sake of reducing crime, but more importantly, talking about what community initiatives are going forth in the respective districts and what partnerships are being developed on a regular basis. And we hold that as a priority in our uh, weekly meetings. And then last, you have to reward good behavior, so you reinforce to the agency that this is what we expect. So when people do well uh, and or come up with uh, some type of initiative that helps the community, we, in fact, uh, make it a point to uh, recognize that both formally and informally to uh, continue our community policing efforts uh, throughout the entire county itself. We we love our police officers in Montgomery County. We love our first responders. And we, re- I mean, and, and we have some of the best and brightest people working in public service down here in Montgomery County. And, you know, I am so blessed. This community is blessed. Our family is blessed. And each of us here tonight can say that Chief Manger has done an extraordinarily great job if uh, for reaching out into the community and implementing the points that you just hit, Chief McSwain. This, we have a top-notch guy. And he is, you know, as far as running the show, this guy is the cream of the crop. And I just... I'm so thankful that we have a police force that is working to build these bridges. Now, I want to go to you, Council President Leventhal. Um, as, as far as policy-wise, you said earlier body cams are now on the forefront of the discussion of media, of the community, and they're saying that body cameras are the new wave of basically – Showing everything that happens between an encounter between a a, a citizen and a and a and a, uh, and a police officer, could you give us a legislative or policy update as as far as what the council is u- doing to address that? Well, we're going to be getting the policy update um, on television and on the internet on Tuesday. So I encourage your listeners to check it out. They don't have to, you know, if they're at work on Tuesday morning when we're in session, they can go to MontgomeryCountyMD.gov/council any time of day or night, and watch anything that happens. And Tuesday morning we'll be hearing from Chief Manger about the plans uh, in the coming fiscal year. You know, our fiscal year 2016 begins on July 1 of this calendar sure. year. And um, by the time, by this time next year, uh, 
most officers, you know, most officers who are interacting routinely with the public will have body cameras. And so that's, um, that's in the works. There's some policy issues and some, you know, like where do you wear the camera and when is something private? And there's a lot of issues that they're still working through. So we'll learn more about that on Tuesday. But really, that's just one piece of the whole picture. And I'm absolutely fascinated by what Chief McSwain had to say about hiring people of high moral character and, you know, the very best that you can find and people who are committed to representing uh, people and protecting people no matter what they look like or what language they speak at home because we all know that that's the principle that uh, we adhere to in Montgomery County government. Everyone who lives in Montgomery County should feel welcome and safe. And our police do a great job. I want to say in terms of our police in the community, I see our police in the community a lot. I see Chief Manger out a lot. I see Chief McSwain out a lot. I see Chief Betsy Davis interacting in all kinds of settings. I served for a year with Chief Davis on a, a, a task force having to do with homeless people and panhandlers, which is not exactly the same universe of people. There's some overlap. And, um, you know, I just think our, our management structure and our, uh, you know, regular uh, beat officers who are just out there in the community are, are trying. I think it, it has to work both ways, right? I mean, obviously there is anxiety, some of it brought on by circumstances far outside Montgomery County, but right now it's on everybody's mind. And that brings with it some risk, and I know that uh, the police department is very cautious and careful. There's anger out there, and um, there's no reason why Montgomery County police should be the target, but it's just police generally. And that's what they found out in Baltimore. I mean, if people were angry at the Baltimore City Police, why were they throwing things at the Montgomery County police who were there? Well, because <laughs> it was just a general feeling, you know, that the police, we can't trust you. And that's, and that's actually, you know, there's Prejudice is real. Stereotyping is real. It happens in every corner of the community. So is it true that black folks play stereo, you know, face stereotyping and prejudice? No one could question that that is true. But it is also true that police officers experience and feel stereotyping and prejudice, and they're feeling it right now. So there's a lot of barriers that have to come down on all sides. And, and my impression is that our police are talking through that a lot, and so that in addition to the body cameras, there's a lot of internal discussion and thinking and guideline setting and just kind of consciousness raising. That's a kind of old hippie term, but really that's what it's about is just thinking through what's going on. Why are people perceiving the police this way? And are we doing things to contribute to it? And that's the kind of conversation that I believe is ongoing, um, and I'm having it with our, with the police management structure, and I'd love to have it with rank-and-file officers too. So, you know, I'm trying to ask the right questions and, um, and offer support on all sides. I, I, you know, for example, I'll just, um, my, you know, my good friends in the African-American Democratic Club uh, just tweeted me, and they said, we would love to have a dialogue with Chief Manger about community relations. So I talked to Chief Manger, and he'd love to have that dialogue. So if I can help facilitate that, let's do it. I mean, as I say, I, my impression is, is that, uh, you know, the whole department is happy to get out and have a dialogue with the community. Absolutely. Mark Mark Brown, a dialogue needs to begin, too, about some of the issues that have been building up to cause this anger, this resentment, this, these sentiments. And I, I want to understand from your perspective, Mark, w- what do you believe are some of the systemic problems that we face in our urban areas that – that that build this this mistrust between citizens and police and there's some other things you know we're talking about poverty we're talking about homelessness we're talking about a lack of adequate schools i mean these are these are not partisan issues these are communities or people issues what what kind of offer your perspective into that mark what do you think well i think pastor exum uh, um, made some excellent points as one who grew up in that community um, th- there are so many things that frustrate people on a daily basis. And uh, for the most part, these things happen outside of the the uh, vision, the, the vantage point of, of many of the citizens who drive around these neighborhoods uh, day after day, have no idea of what these individuals are experiencing. Uh, I think um, I- I'll let Pastor, Pastor Exum speak to that specifically, but just from from what I have experienced, what I know, that there are um, there are mental, emotional, physical manifestations that come out of walking around with these frustrations. Uh, many times, uh, uh, people are forced to swallow it and and not able to communicate it, or if they do, they're who's listening. And uh, there is there is a direct uh, result. There's there's an outcome from this that uh, sometimes cannot be predicted. Uh, who knows what will light the powder keg? Uh, when, when is enough enough? 
And and so uh, I think that this is what puts us in this vulnerable state in which we, we don't know uh, when something will break out like what happened in Baltimore. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very privileged and grateful to hear you know, what Chief McSwain and, and, and Councilman Levenstahl are saying, that, that there are forums, that there, there is an outlet for this. But my, my, my deepest concern is that there are many people who, who, um, who feel hopeless, who have not um, availed themselves to these outlets, and, and therefore walking around with these frustrations. And, and, and personally, for myself, from whatever uh, point of influence I have, is, is to let people know there is a constructive way. There are people who care. There are, are things being put in place for us to be engaged and for you to be heard. And I think that is where we begin to release some of the pressure that's building up in, in some communities. Right. Pastor Exum, we saw in places like Ferguson and New York and South Carolina that the the an African American community they feel that they're that sometimes the policing methods that are happening now uh, some, like the stop and frisk or uh, what happened with Mike Brown up on uh, in, in New York, that there is there, that disconnect is there, that African-Americans are being targeted. And I want to understand this from your perspective. Do you think is – there, is there a rift between the African-American community and, and police officers for young African-American males or, and females and for young guys like Freddie Gray? He was 25. I mean he was four years younger than I am. I'm 29 years old. And was, is, what is the problem? What, what do you see in these communities that people are saying? Well, I, I appreciate just listening uh, on the line here. Uh, that we recognize that it's not any one thing that has caused the issue that we've seen, that it's a, it's a combination of issues uh, that's, that's led to the point uh, where we are. I mean, you can, you can look at drugs, which has uh, caused dependency in, uh, in many households. You can look at a rampant poverty. You can look at the educational gap. You, could, you can look at all of those things. You can look at misinformation that has been generational, uh, information that's been passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter, which says uh, people actually teach their children that police officers are the enemy, uh, that they that they are not your friend based on what they have they have experienced. It's a number. It's it's a it's a number of things uh, that 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 we see. And there there's just I, I wish I could point to one thing and say this is the one thing, and if we fix it, everything is going to be fine. But there. It, it's that's that's just not not true. I believe that if we start with just letting people know that we care, we're doing something, anything, doing just doing anything. We're listening and we're responding to needs. If we respond to any of those of of of, of that great variety of needs that's there, we'll begin to move in the right direction. But it only it it only will occur uh, when we start to sit down. And we listen to community members. We listen to people uh, that are out there living living in these areas and these conditions. And we start to target uh, the needs that they have. I I stood on the corner of where Freddie Gray, the same block that Freddie Gray was born and raised in his house, and I asked, uh, and I was talking to three, uh, probably they were roughly around the same age as I. Like I said, I'm 29, and they said that we. And I said, there is no such thing as a white and black issue. This is a people issue. This is a community issue. We are all Marylanders. We all care, and we 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 are our brother's keeper. And when I walked down there, and I, I have to tell you, I mean, I was I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how I would be received, and I didn't know where this converse, where I wanted to go. But my heart led me there because. I don't believe in politics when it comes to issues like this. I believe in finding solutions and getting the root cause of the problem. And when I heard it, I mean the, the, the folks that I talked to, they have kids. I have kids. They want better schools. I want better schools. I, they, have, they have the same issues and problems and concerns that is not just an African-American issue, but like I said, this is a fundamental – this is a people issue, and it touched my heart in ways, and it was – it was very emotional it was because you're, you're listening to these people's stories, and they grew up with someone. I mean the woman that I said – that I talked to, she said, I saw Freddie Gray every day 
walk out of his house. I go up to that CVS. I shop for my grandparents and my aunt's prescriptions. I do this. I do that. I see these same people in my community, and we want things to be better. We just don't know how to exactly pull the trigger and get there. So here, this is why we're talking about this tonight, and I want to understand this, Pastor, from your perspective. You're, you know, you're, you're an African-American, uh, and I'm Caucasian, but we <laughs> ideas are driving this conversation, and here's the question. And I want to understand, do you think that there is – in Baltimore City or in uh, overall in America, is there an inherent racism in the police force, and is that exhibited on the streets? In in a word, yes. Okay. A- absolutely, absolutely. But the problem, but the but, but this is this is where I would I would differ from a lot of people. The same way that you that that we can't clump an entire community and say that this is a community where where looters live, this is a community where uh, thugs live, this is a community where we we can't we can't clump everybody together in the same boat. This is the same way that we have to teach our communities that not every white police officer is a racist. Not every white police officer that you see is against you. In fact, if we were to be honest, the majority of the police officers are good people trying to do their job, trying to help the community. And if that new bit of information was shared with people and they were able to see that, I think we can start moving beyond the tensions that we see between community and and the and, and the police force that look these are these are good folks they're trying to do their job they're not going to stand for just any old thing but they love you they're here to work for you they want to see your your safety it's not just about a paycheck they're not here to do damage uh, to the community but they are here to help we have to get that message across absolutely Chief McSwain we, right here in Montgomery County. We have many issues that it's no different from Baltimore City. And I want to understand the success of the community policing model. Have you found success in that? And what do police officers tell you? What are their thoughts and what are their feelings when they're on the streets and doing their regular beat? What are you hearing from them in regards to building the relationships with members of the Montgomery County community? Well, thank you. Um that is a um, primary focus of why officers actually join police departments. Every single one of them will tell you that in their respective interviews, and they all were very sincere uh, when it came on, the primary reason why they wanted to be a police officer was to help people. And uh, I've had the fortune of being here for 27 years, um, just a, a wonderful agency, but we're not perfect. And um, I will tell you that they rejoice when they were to make a difference, whether it be um, to find property that was lost or to help a woman literally deliver a baby or whatever it might be, uh, and certainly would um, invite anyone to uh, join our annual uh, award ceremonies, even quarterly that we do in the, uh, the department to recognize very good behavior. But we also recognize as well that we have to do things on an ongoing basis. And uh, there are a number of different programs that our officers participate in that continue to forward um, um, their their efforts to help people, one of which is um, we have a Citizens Academy in which we try to help to educate not only our adults but uh, to a degree their entire families on what officers do, what our job entails, uh, to see an inside look at the uh, police department. I think that helps to create better understanding uh, for a cert- certain uh, segment. Just as importantly, we try to reach down to the youth as well. I think that's one of the critical things that uh, all of us have to continue to do in law enforcement, especially in today's age, is to reach out to the youth even more. We have an Explorer program, which it's like a leadership program that uh, we offer for our youth between roughly ages 14 to 20. And we found that uh, for those who stay in that program for at least two years, they have about a 98% graduation rate. Uh, which we're very proud of, and that's been going on for 30 years. Uh, just importantly, uh, we also do some work as far as, um, of course, we have school resource officers, but they're also in middle schools. We're trying to bring back the officer-friendly type of program whereby we have just regular patrol officers go by elementary schools and read to the kids and do some other things as well. And uh, for those who are of us in senior command, 
there's not a meeting that we turn down uh, when we're invited to because we do believe that communication is the uh, key. On a monthly basis, also, the chief of police has a uh, liaison committee meeting with uh, African-American leaders as well as Hispanic uh, leaders, and he's been doing that literally since he's been here for the last 11, 12 years or so, and that's uh, helped to further um, strengthen our relationships with our communities. My next question is, Council Council President Levenfall, we've seen how policing has changed over the decades, and I was born in 1985, and at that time, social media wasn't there. I mean, the Internet was, was, was barely even surfacing, and it did not come into fruition uh, and materialize until the early 90s. So I want to understand, how has social media changed the way that policing is uh, being used, and is there a different model now, given that we have such a, a wide diversity of social media applications? Uh, I know that our police department is very active on all the social media platforms, and um, you know they'd have to tell you, are they having a good interaction with the community that way? Um, uh, I, as I say, my impression is is that they work very hard. They put in long hours. Um, I've I've been to countless numbers of homeowners association meetings, civic association meetings, where you know police department personnel show up and field questions, and I've seen them meet with diverse communities, international communities, immigrant communities. So you know I think um, you know as in the, the the example I just gave earlier, I mean I think if a community group wants to have a dialogue, it is incumbent on that community group to ask too, because I don't know that our government or our police department is always aware of. Who are the people who want to have the conversation? I mean, just reach out and ask. Call, you know, contact my office, councilmember.leventhal at montgomerycountymd.gov. And, um, I, you know, I think uh, my impression is the department is happy to send representatives to community meetings. You know, you need advance notice. I mean, schedule's always tough. But, but I think there's a strong interest, especially now, in continuing the dialogue that we're having here tonight. And, um, you know, the fact that you've got Assistant Chief McSwain here on this issue and Myself and and you know our friends from Baltimore. Everybody wants to talk about this right now. So right. Um, so now is a good time, you know. And and um, uh, as Chief McSwain said, I mean we've got a really good police force. It's not perfect, and I think uh, everyone's eager to learn from what's going on and and do better. And that's a conversation we've got to continue to have. But um, you know it's it's vividly clear to me uh, from what the pastor said that um, there are perceptions about all police officers that absolutely don't accurately apply to all police officers, just as there's no question that there are perceptions about young black men that unfairly describe the overwhelming majority of young black men. And so we've got to, you know, see each other as individuals and get past skin color. And I think, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're trying hard. I mean, one of the issues obviously in hiring in the police department is you, you are to some degree benefiting from, but you also are to some degree stuck with the workforce that you have. And so if you start out with a workforce that, you know, maybe wasn't diverse uh, 10 years ago and those cops who are excellent and experienced and are not yet retirement age are not diverse, then you have to fill openings as they arise, but you also have the force that was hired 10 years ago. So you make your best effort now, but it's incremental. And so the force becomes more diverse, and we have Spanish-speaking officers, and we have African-American officers, right. and we have Asian-American officers, but um, it's going to take more time before the force itself represents the diverse demographics of our community, which have been changing dramatically. I mean, you mentioned 1985 when you were born. That's the year I came home from college. And in that time, I went to college in California, but I grew up here. In the time I was away, wham, we developed a Latino community. It didn't exist yeah. before. You know, but it was because of the Civil War in, in El Salvador that a lot of Salvadorans came up here in the early 80s. And now, of course, they're a huge component of our population. So we have to try as best we can to make sure that our department demographics reflect the demographics of the community, and I know they're working very hard on that. I, I went on a field trip last Friday. Uh, my, my daughter, she's eight. She goes to Trevilla Elementary School, and we went to the Imagination Stage down in Bethesda, and it was the first time that I've ever – I've been on a field trip with her, and I was actually – gracious that she she invited me and I I got to go in and meet some of several of her classmates and I got to tell you ha, it it I I am so happy to live in a community where there is so much diversity in fact I celebrate it I mean I there was a mixture of all different races and ethnicities and religions and living in Montgomery County and we live in North Potomac and you know from all the way down to Wheaton all the way to, to Gaithersburg to Germantown we have such a wide diverse population and so many different cultures in this melting pot and 
we are a microcosm, I believe, of the rest of the United States, and it's so, and and that is something that we should celebrate is that diversity. And much like the Baltimore city has much diversity, but the problem that seems to be now is that these cultures, these ethnicities, um, is that they feel that. Like we talked about earlier, the police force is not always representative of them. And from what I heard from the conversation tonight is that, in fact, you're, you're looking for people of all stripes and sizes uh, and ethnicities and backgrounds and races and, most importantly, character. Character is what matters the most when, uh, as a police officer that you're bringing those people onto the force so they can relate with these uh, members of our community. And Mark Brown, I want to ask you, do you think that Baltimore could happen here in Montgomery County? I mean, is there something that, I mean, I read an article today and it said that, that the tagline was that every city is one incident away from being the next Baltimore. Is Montgomery County one incident away from being the next Baltimore city? I think it was said earlier that it, it, we'd be naive if we said that, uh, I think that the captain said that, uh, Chief McSwain said that uh, we'd be naive if we, if we said it, it wouldn't happen here. Um, but but what I have heard, and, and uh, by being on this call this evening, uh, I'm even more proud to be a, a citizen of Montgomery County. Uh, there are things available. Uh, just to hear the the uh, you know Citizens Academy, the Explorer program, to hear the councilman give out his you know his contact information and and invite people to contact him. I, I think those of us who are in positions of influence need to make sure that, that we are influencing uh, our young people to be a part of the Explorer program, to attend these, uh, these meetings that are open to the, to the public. Uh, we should make sure that we are engaged and are inviting others to be engaged so that it, it, it lessens the chance of there being a pocket that feels helpless and hopeless. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that there's so much attention being paid by, by our county officials to, to make it available, and, and it's up to us now uh, to, to take full advantage of it. If we don't, Deep. we increase the chance of Baltimore happening in Montgomery County. Our police and our council and many members of our community, they're simpatico. We're all on the same page, and we're working. We're striving, and we're making that happen. I think the policy is are in place, but moreover, we have to have the attitude. And Pastor Exum, what we only have about two two minutes and forty seconds left, and I want you to give your thoughts. What do you want to leave with us? And from what you have seen over the last week, what do you want to leave with this audience and from this call? And what do you want us to take away from it? Well, the, I believe the greatest takeaway uh, from what we saw in Baltimore. <clears throat> is that there are key members of the community that are willing to work with the police force and the, um, and the mayor to bring about a change in Baltimore City. <clears throat> the situation is very difficult, but it's not, it's not without hope. And uh, I honestly believe that uh, now that we've had this experience, that we can move forward and that we can be made stronger because of it. Absolutely. Uh, and, and gentlemen, we did this call, we did this, this session tonight, and I, I, an hour is not nearly enough time. We could spend five hours talking about this tonight, and that's what I hope. I hope that we see this in Montgomery County, and I know that we have a strong police force, and I know that our council, our members of our council are on the same page, and our, and our local elected officials, this call, this, this opportunity to talk and hash these issues out is just one step that these conversations that we're having now need to be held in each individual community in Baltimore City. Every one of us can step up to the plate and do something. Mark, what can we do? We have about a minute left, but quickly, what can we do to help? Uh, again, uh, let's get involved. Uh, all these opportunities have been made available to us. Uh, let's reach out. Let's encourage people. Let's lead by example. Let's show that uh, we live in a county that, that does allow the citizens to be involved and that this uh, community policing is not just a, a far-off idea, that it's something that can, that can work and happen uh, in our Absolutely. county. Chief McSwain, I'm so proud that you have joined us. I'm proud of your police force, and I'm proud of the cultural work that you're doing every single day to, do, to build a better relationship with members of the community. Uh, Council President Levinfall, 
I, I appreciate your time. You're a busy guy, as we all are, but this means so much to this show and this audience that you took the time to be here, as well as Pastor Exum and Mark Brown. Guys, it was been it's been a fantastic conversation. Let's continue this conversation offline, and I'll be in touch with each of you, and let's make a difference and make that change that we need in our community. Thank you all for joining me tonight, and again, God bless you. Another episode of A Minor Detail. Stay with us. Thanks, sir. Thank you.